Well, I'm excited today, and it's not just because it's Christmas, but it's Christmas on a Sunday. I know it's difficult. I know getting kids out of the house after presents have been opened. I know that there's family members waiting on you. I promise to not go too long. That's my promise to you. But Christmas Day on a Sunday, there is no better time to have a Christmas Day. Because the thing is, like we've talked about, Jesus did not stay a baby. And praise God that he didn't. Praise God that he lived the life we couldn't. See, the thing is, when we get together on Sunday, it's not because this is the new Sabbath, right? The Sabbath never changed. It's still Saturday. And so here in America, we take Saturdays and Sundays off. We're double duty, right? But Sunday, we meet. Why? Because that's the day that the Son of God rose from the dead. So what better day is there to celebrate his coming and his going all in one day here together? And I know the Lord is blessed by your sacrifice to be here this morning. And I know the Lord will bless you if you have ears to hear. There's no better place for us to be than right now. But we've got to have some real talk before we can get on to the rest of the day's festivities. And if we're honest, the day is almost half over and we know what's coming next, don't we? We know there's going to be a Christmas letdown, right? There's going to be a point when you're like, ah, oh, really? I got to not listen to those songs for another year. Is that all the presents? Is that all the family? Was this it? You know, for young people, Christmas is super exciting, and then it gets really sad because for a young person, a year might as well be a hundred years till next Christmas. For some of you teens and young adults, maybe Christmas isn't magical. Maybe it's a transition year where you go from toys to clothes, or maybe it's just a Christmas that isn't quite as special as it has been in the past. For us adults, Christmas has some sorrow, doesn't it? How many more Christmases will I have kids squealing over getting brand new socks with Baby Yoda on them? <laughs> How many more Christmases until a loved one is no longer there? For some, Christmas is painful because there's an empty chair. And we know that tomorrow morning, bright and early, the stores will all be decorated for Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's very true. Now, I'm not here to bum you out. I'm not here to be the wet blanket on what's been your Christmas so far. But I want to speak honestly into the fact that there is this desire that we have to put more weight on Christmas than it can carry. Its shoulders cannot carry it. It cannot provide us with the thing we are looking for the most. It cannot give us the joy that is everlasting, that every human heart is looking for. I know we try to numb it a little bit with all the nostalgia and all the fun and the lots of food, the food coma we go into, but Christmas cannot give us the joy that we want. It cannot do it. The toys will break, they'll be put away and forgotten to be sold at a garage sale. Things will wear out and need to be replaced. That brand new outfit will get spaghetti spilt on it before the end of the day. There is no everlasting joy available at the store. 
no matter which store you go to. But here's the thing. These Christmas celebrations were never meant to do this. Christmas was never meant to be the thing to provide us with joy, but instead to point us to the one who could. It's kind of like saying, hey, you know what? We're going to make a big deal about the star, right? That Christmas star, it is miraculous. It's amazing. It's supernatural. We're just going to focus on the star. And we would go, you're missing the point. Yes, that's miraculous. Yes, it's supernatural. But it's pointing to who? To Jesus. And see, Christmas is meant to do that for us. Christmas is meant to point us to Jesus. And not just the baby Jesus, but the man Jesus and what he accomplished. So if you'll allow me, we'll spend a couple of minutes talking about why we can rejoice at Christmas. Because the joy that is offered at Christmas is way more than anything you've gotten today. And if you're, I mean, and and this is kind of like God, isn't it? right? To take something glittery and flashing and it is so grandiose even if it's for him and then it passes by and he meets us in that melancholy sadness. Doesn't the Lord do that on a regular basis? He comes and meets us in that quiet time when the world actually lets us be quiet for a moment. This is what he intends for us to see this Christmas. So we're going to look at four gifts that the Apostle Paul lays out for us here at Christmas. These gifts are nothing new. There's there's nothing new about them. They've been around for nearly 2,000 years. But we miss it, don't we? Whether you've been in church your whole life or you come just here and there, we miss it. Sometimes it's because we're ignorant. We've never been shown it. And so today, listen. Make sure you listen carefully. You can be in a church your whole life and miss some of these truths. Some of us ignore the truth. Because you know what? We really like our sin and we like the way things are going and we don't want to have to deal with it even though it's someone else dealing with it for us. Sometimes we're indifferent. Sometimes we're like, I just don't care. It's not important to me now. I'm not going to worry about it. And so we just pass it by. We pass by our church each and every week. We let our Bibles get nice and dusty because eh, it's not that important. No matter what group you're in, the Christmas story is simple. It's not Jesus coming down. It's not the wise men. It's not the shepherds. The story is this. We have a sin problem. God's forgiving grace is on offer, and Jesus brings the two together. That's what Christmas is all about. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, and if you want to turn there, that'll also be on the screen as well. This is a very important piece of Scripture. As a matter of fact, one author says this might be the most important theological segment in the entire Bible. Another author says this is the most important and significant paragraph ever written. So no pressure on me, right? But I think the, the fact that it's so important has nothing to do with intricate knots of theology or anything like that. It's the most important because it's the clearest explanation of what Jesus came to do. So we're going to start in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now when we hear that, most of us hear it as how far we are from God. God is so far removed and we're so lowly. And that is a part of it. But I think what Paul's doing here is he's saying, we're on the same playing field. Everybody's on the ground floor. No one's getting to the top. We're all in the same place. 
Every human being on the face of the earth. Every human being meeting today in churches across this world to celebrate Jesus' birth are on the same playing field. No one is more holy. No one is more close to the Lord. So let me give you an example of this. Let's say we rounded up all the people in Portland. We drove over to Cannon Beach. Okay? Many of you have been to Cannon Beach. You know when you go to Cannon Beach, big haystack rock there, right? And when the tide goes out far enough, you can walk out to it. But most of the time, the tide's in. You can't get there unless you're willing to like swim in freezing cold water and hypothermia and sharks and other stuff, right? So the, the tide is in. It's full of water. We put every single person from Portland on the sand. We look out at Haystack Rock, a couple hundred feet out in the water, and we say, y'all can go to heaven if you can jump from here to that rock. Now we look at that, and some of us are going to go, I'm not, I'm not even going to be able to make it to the water. Others are going to get a couple of feet in the water. Some are going to get back, and they're like, I used to long jump in college, and we're going to jump, and they're going to get 20 feet. Still hundreds of feet from it. See, it doesn't matter what the relative variables are. It doesn't matter how high or how far you can jump. It's a task that's virtually impossible. And this is where we all are. Left to our own devices, we have nothing that will get us to God. That's the point of this passage. Now, some of us will go, but wait a second. I'm a whole lot better a better person, I'm a, I'm a nicer person than so-and-so, so I must be closer to God. Okay, let me use an example here. Lincoln, can you stand up for a second? All right, Lincoln, about four feet tall. All right, I gotta reach something tall. Am I gonna choose Lincoln, or am I gonna choose Shaquille O'Neal? I know how tall Shaquille O'Neal is. Seven feet tall, who am I gonna choose? I'm gonna choose Shaq, right? Come on, Shaq Diesel, go up and reach it. Except for, what are we trying to reach? The nearest star. Shaq's no use. See, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how great you are by comparison. You cannot reach the nearest star. The same thing goes with the holiness that we must be to reach God. Our best moment on earth where we are the most pure is nowhere near holy enough to be in God's presence. And this is the problem. See, for most of us, we think we have the ability to do something to reach God. We have confidence in ourselves. Most of the time from looking at people around us and going, I'm better than that person. But we're missing the point. The point is we must lose confidence in ourselves. One author writes, there is immense joy in losing confidence in your flesh. Another way to put this is that we increasingly put no confidence in ourselves. There is great joy in letting go of your pride and conceit that you can reach God. So let me show you how starting with the fact we're all terrible is good news. Because look at verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is where we're going to camp, because this is where the four gifts are. All right? The first one, gift one, justification. It says, and are justified. The New American Standard says, being justified. New Living Translation says, God has made us right in his sight. So this word justified, it's a, it's a church word. It's actually a legal word. It means to be declared righteous or declared right. 
The root idea here is that God is the judge and He gets to declare who's right and who's wrong. Are justified. Notice it's passive. It doesn't say we justified ourselves. It doesn't say this person justified me. It says no, we are justified. It is done to us. This word justified or just, or justification, are all the same word as the word righteous. Righteous meaning right with God, right standing, correct, moral. Paul uses it nine times in this passage that Logan and Marnie read a minute ago. He uses it 60 times in the book of Romans. This is a word that Paul can't get over. It means to be made right with God. See, we have this gulf between us. We're all on that same level playing field millions and millions of miles away from God. And we need to be made right with God so that we can be in His presence. It's too far away. Just like Shaquille or Lincoln reaching for the nearest star. It's too wide to bridge. Now, as we're talking about these gifts, I'm I'm pretty sure that none of you put this on your Christmas list. You know, I'd really like to be justified this year. I mean, have you ever gotten one of those gifts? We're not going to raise hands because some people might have given you those gifts in this room. But have you ever gotten one of those gifts where you're gonna, you go, thanks? <laughs> right? You kind of go, you go uh, okay. And, and, and what's interesting is I've had some of those gifts. And then down the road I realize, wow, that's a really good gift. Have you ever had that? Where you get a gift and you, especially if you're young and you're like, oh, why do I need this? And then later on you're like, where would I be without this gift? This is the same thing here. When we really stop and think about it, and I know the last month or so, stopping and thinking is not something on the, rest, on the, on the schedule, right? We've been busy. We've been going. But today, stop and think about it. Is there any gift greater than to be made right with our God? All the problems in the world stem from people who are not right with God. Our world is not right with God. And this justification can make us joyful. Because what, and I love this, this quote from um, an author says, justification makes me joyful when I learn that God has freely given a surety for me. What's a surety? A surety is a substitute to stand in my place. What a joy to know that God does not help those who help themselves. No, instead, he helps those who cannot possibly help themselves. See, to be made right with God is the whole purpose of Christmas. The whole reason Jesus came was to make us right with God. All religions in the world are attempts from man trying to reach up and grab God. For some, it's attending a certain service. Some, it's never missing a certain service. Some people haven't missed church in years and years, and they think this makes them right with God. Some people have memorized passages of Scripture and think that makes them right with God. But this is not the truth. The truth is we can't do anything to make us right with God. It is 100% on him to do it. God does it. All we do is we bring the sins that need to be forgiven. That's it. And we're good at the sins that need to be forgiven. So the first thing we see is that the gift, one, is justification. The second gift is grace. Grace. Look at verse 24 again. And are justified by his grace as a gift. The New Living Translation says, Yet God, in his grace, swallowed up in grace. 
makes us right in his sight. Paul loves this word grace almost as much as he likes the word righteous and justified. Paul uses this word grace 95 times in his letters. What does it mean? It means to get something we didn't deserve. Now, we talked about mercy before. We talked about it last Sunday. We talked about not getting the punishment that we deserve. Grace is getting something you could never deserve. It's getting something on top of that. Yes, we don't get the punishment of our sins. And that's mercy to its core. Grace is we get Jesus' righteousness counted to us. Romans 4 helps us see this. This is what it says. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. A literal translation would say, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted according to grace, but as a debt. When you work a job, you get a paycheck. You don't do it for free. Grace is you're getting something and you cannot earn it. You cannot do it. Romans 11 talks about this. Who has given a gift to him, to God, that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. If you're going to get something through grace, you cannot work for it. This is why Paul says this over and over again. He's saying, you can't earn this. You can't work your way to this. And really, this gift and the next gift, gift three, go together. I could have probably sandwiched them together. But who doesn't like to get two gifts instead of one, right? Gift three, a free gift. Verse 24 again, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Again, the New Living says, freely makes us. This is a gift. Have you ever bought a gift for someone and it's so amazing and they say, oh, I can't possibly accept it. You know, they're polite about it. And you go, no, no, you, I insist. And then they go, well, let me pay you for it. Or let me do this for you. Or if you felt that, someone's given you an amazing gift and you're like, wow, I'm going like, to need to do something nice for them in response. I'm going to have to you know, do something. The thing about it is a gift is something you don't pay for. It's ironic that in our narcissistic world, you've seen commercials about gifting yourself stuff. Have you seen those? I saw one the other day and it led me to a website and it said, the 35 best Christmas gifts to give yourself this year. See, the thing is, they're using the word wrong. If you pay for it from yourself, it's not a gift to yourself. That's not how the word works. But our world's all sorts of wonky with words. A gift is unearned. Because think about it. The gift that's being talked about here that Paul is making the point on is your soul. It's the chance to have your soul redeemed. See, we're all eternal beings. We all have souls. And what he's saying here is he's saying, how much is a soul worth? Christ paid for all the souls so that he could claim them for eternal life. So the price of your soul is the death of the perfect spotless son of God, the second member of the Trinity. Anybody got that in their pocket, in their wallet? They can pull out that much money, that much gold? All the gold in the world, all the wealth in the world. All the Elon Musks, all the crown princes, all of their wealth combined is not worth a one millionth of the worth that Jesus Christ is. And that's the price that was paid for your soul. This is a gift we cannot repay. Paul is saying you cannot repay it. We are made right with God. 
He no longer sees our sins. So we see the first gift is we are justified. We're made right by God. The second is it's by grace. So you can't work for it. You can't do enough to earn it. And then as a gift, meaning you can't pay God back for it. You can't pay for it. So how does this happen? How do we get this? Well, this is the fourth gift of Christmas. Gift four, redemption. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The New Living Translation, again, I love this. He did this. God did this through Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. I love that. This word redemption means to deliver by payment or deliver at a cost. Mark 10, 45, Jesus alludes to this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what are we free from? What is the freedom that we're guaranteed? It's freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation, freedom from sin, freedom from the gulf that we have with God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bridge. That's the redemption that we get. Justification is built on this, that Jesus came as a ransom for many. He paid the price with his life. This is why God now can give this gift, this free gift of justification to each and every one of us. It's because of Christ's death, not his birth, even though that was miraculous. It's not because of the story of him going to the temple when he was just a young boy. It's not even the stories leading up to his death. It's the death on the cross in our place. That is what this is all pointing to. And this passage of ours ends with God being just and that he does not look at our sins anymore. This creates a problem, doesn't it? And Paul is addressing it here, and I want to touch on it very briefly as we wrap up. See, if God is fair, how can he look past sins? We've all sinned. We've all sinned against each other. We've all sinned against God. How can God just look past them? I mean, Proverbs says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both an alike abomination to the Lord. He's saying, if you're bad and I say you're good, it's an abomination. So is God being hypocritical here? No, he's not. See, God is just, meaning he's always right. He'll always do the right thing. And the way that he stays right is by sending Christ as this gift. He steps in and takes the punishment, the wrath of God in our place so that we can have a relationship with God. His dying the death that we deserved. His feeling the wrath of God. Yes, the cross was not an enjoyable experience. It was the most painful experience. But the true pain that Christ feels on the cross is the wrath of God for all the sins that you and I have committed laid upon him. That's what Christ took. Look at verse 24 again. We're going to read it in context with the rest of the passage. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that word means sacrifice, as a sacrifice by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he could be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, all the people living before Christ, they trusted in the blood of the sacrifices in the temple to take away their sins. They couldn't take away their sins. They were pointing to a coming of Christ. We do the other version. We're on this end of it. We're looking back through it. And we see that right here. Paul says God was making himself righteous, showing himself righteous in the fact that he was having Jesus come to take away the sins of the people before Jesus and to take away our sins now after Jesus has come. And we see this, don't we? 1 John 4.10, I love this passage. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. See the past tense there? God loved us before we existed and sent his son before we were a glinter in our great-great-grandparents' eyes. He loved us before time. And why did he do this? What's the purpose? Again, verse 26. It was to show his, God's righteousness now so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who lives by faith. So God, the offended party, God, the one that we've all sinned against, he's the one that steps in and provides the solution. He gave us this gift at Christmas. He didn't go on our Amazon wish list and look for the things that we put on it. He didn't search our hearts and go, you know, he really needs a new car. He needs a new spouse. He needs a new job. He needs a new house. He needs a new whatever. Instead, he said, no, the root problem is he needs to be right with me. And today, maybe you're seeing how this is the greatest gift of all, being made right with your God. See, we never move past this. This is the most unbelievable story, and yet it is 100% true, and it's for each and every one of us. Not something that's off to the side that's for some people. It's for every human being. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how do we get this present today? Well, we return to verse 22. We never move past verse 22. The righteousness of God, that's what we need to be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. He references this again in verse 25 in the first part. God put forward as a sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. If you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is home for you. Never move past this truth. Never stop relishing in this gift. This is not a gift that belongs in the closet to be on the garage sale block soon. This is not a gift that will wear out. This is the source of your joy. As a matter of fact, next Sunday we're going to spend some time unpacking this and seeing how this affects all of life, especially how we pray to God. If you've never submitted to Christ, you're missing out on the greatest gift ever given to mankind. So today, as we finish up our Christmas day, don't put too much weight on Christmas. Its shoulders can't bear it. It's not meant to be our source of joy, but it's meant to point us to the source of joy. So I want you to ask yourself this. How many more years am I going to try to get Christmas to provide for me what it can never provide? 
How many more times am I going to put that hope out in November or December or some of you October when you start thinking about Christmas and planning for it and you just hope that this year it's going to be that hallmark moment, that magical Christmas. You've seen it over and over again. It cannot provide. There is one who can. How many more Christmases are you going to waste missing it? Christmas is all about Christ coming and living and dying in our place so that we could have eternal life that starts today. Jesus is the true gift of Christmas. One author wrote this, and I'll leave you with this. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. O oh, fellow sinner, O oh, guilty offender of the glory of God, do you want this? From your cell on death row, do you want an 11th hour pardon? Do you want the doors of the prison to open and the judge of the universe to count you as righteous and release you into his everlasting green pastures and still waters known as his friendship? See, sin is our problem. We need God's forgiving grace. It's the only solution. And this is what makes Christmas amazing is that Christ came to make it available for all. Will you accept this free gift? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us before we even existed. Thank you for thinking of us before our great-grandparents existed. Lord, thank you for sending your Son to die and take the sins of each and every one of us. Lord, forgive us for how we've neglected that. We've acted indifferently. We've ignored it. And today, Lord, I pray that you would work on each of us and help us to see this gift anew. That, Lord, this is the gift that provides the joy that the world so greatly needs, that we so greatly need. Help us not to miss it again this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.